Uh, hi, Vince. Good afternoon, Jeremiah. I hope you're doing well. It's getting on towards Christmas. So. Oh, I am looking forward to catching up on some sleep. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Um, we got a puppy, and he tends to wake up early, and then he wakes up everyone else. It takes him about 15 minutes to get bored by himself, and then he just kind of runs around the house, barks at people and stuff. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, so uh, the thing I want, I thought we could talk about today is something we did at my last company that I thought was uh, pretty interesting, and it, it's not uh, real common uh, in development yet today. It's called mob programming, and... Um, uh, I just thought it'd be worth talking about it. It might be something uh, useful for people to experiment with. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about this one. It's not something that I've ever lived. You know, I've seen uh, the articles pop up on Hacker News like everybody else, but I'm uh, eager to find out more from somebody who's actually uh, done it in practice. Yeah, yeah, we we we, we tried it out and um, it worked really well for uh, giving some. Uh, guidance on on how you're going to use it. Uh, it worked out really well, and I think it I think it uh, had a lot of benefits. So I think it's worth people getting kind of um, uh, familiar with it and using it as a possible uh, way to get stuff done. So yeah. All right. So let's jump in. So Jeremiah, what is mob programming? Yeah. So probably it, you know you could call it group programming, or you could you could sort of see it as an extension of of pair programming. Right, pair programming. You have two people sitting at a sitting at a computer uh, typing code, and mob programming. You have basically your entire agile development team there, typing code into one uh, particular code base, um, and that that team uh, can include your uh, QA people. It probably should include QA people. Can include your product manager. Can include the the team lead, the the, the manager for the entire team. Heck, even a director can come in. Uh, or people who are completely outside the Agile team as necessary. Uh, it's just a really large group of people, larger than two, uh, getting together to work on code at the exact same time. It's kind of the, the high-level idea. So and, at first uh, to me, that sounds scary, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining myself there at the keyboard with, with not just one pointy-haired boss behind me, but the whole team and everybody just watching for a typo or for some sort of mistake. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I think that's a real uh, a real sense of a real problem with it uh, is that people do get very scared, right? Uh, very few people want to uh, type in their code uh, while their boss is watching them, right? And it's also even worse if um, everyone else in your team is watching you make some sort of you know kind of crazy mistake. So yeah. There are also times where I know I'm like flowing really well and thinking, boy, if other people could see this, they'd be so impressed. You're, you're yeah, those happen, those happen a little less often. <laughs> it's more like I can't quite remember how to how to put the switches on this command to make it do what I want. Is is more the way I <laughs> the more the way I see it. But yeah. So so on the face of it, right? There's one person entering code there with the whole team around. So for one, I, I figure you've always got an answer to your question, or somebody could go and research it for you, right? Yeah. So you can spawn these different processes or threads to go and sort those things out and come back with answers. Um, yeah. The primary um, goal of this to like, to just to keep momentum going or something to that effect. Well, yeah. So, so a little history about it, right. Um, as, as far as I know, mob programming, you know, I was doing some researching uh, on the internet about this before the conversation. Uh, mob programming was started at a place called Hunter Industries and there were a bunch of people involved and, and they're sort of no longer together. So I don't know whether they are, you know, 
friendly, each starting their own business or, you know, somewhat contentious with each other. I don't know how that, how that sh shook out, but people like Woody uh, Zuiel, uh, Chris Lucian, uh, Jason Kearney and, and Aaron Griffith and some other people kind of started it out and they're, they're all out there now kind of doing various forms of mob programming today. And they, they seem okay. to be so sort the people of, who, uh, who first figured it out have stuck with it and been, uh, and been spreading, huh? Yeah. And presumably they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make a living kind of spreading this out to, to people. I think it's a good idea. And, uh, you know, I definitely hope that they are uh, successful in their endeavors. Um, so I, I don't really know like whose idea it was or, you know, who started it. And I'm, I, don't want to be get in trouble for saying the wrong thing about that <laughs> but so yeah the the idea is it's probably best if we kind of like describe it you know the, the the general idea is everyone's kind of working on the same code together right but the the way it works is kind of interesting uh, the, the essential two parts is you have like a driver and a navigator and the driver just does typing and he really doesn't contribute to the um to the code design and delivery in any way, just, just inputs information. And then the navigator talks to the driver and says, hey, this is what we should be doing. And the navigator, I'm gonna switch pronouns because I'm trying to get better pronouns, right? Uh, the, the navigator, she, she can be helped by everyone else in the room who, I, I can't remember the term for them. You know, we'll just mm -hmm. call them passengers for this, but they, they might also be nav you know, some other type of navigator. But driver and navigator, the two major, major pieces. And the important part is that talking normally if you're writing code you are uh you know hey I, I gotta i gotta do this particular thing i gotta i gotta create this api and so you think about how to do it and then you type it down in the computer and then you think some more and you type some more and and why you're doing what you're doing no one else has any idea right and even in in extreme uh, pair programming it can kind of be the same way someone can sort of just take over and be typing into the computer and their their partner really doesn't know why they're choosing to do this particular thing, but they're just doing it, right? And the talking part where the navigator talks to the driver and says what to type in, that is heard by the entire room, right? That decision is something that everyone is listening to and agreeing to. And so that's the, that's the key bit where the code that's going into the code base is something that everyone is listening in on and agreeing to and editing as possible. So, uh, you end up with something that is not just one person's idea of how to solve this, but the entire team's idea of how to solve it. Hmm. So starting off with some constraints on this, we know this involves more than one person. Is, is there a minimum number of people required for a mob? Three or four is probably the minimum. You, yeah, two two you is might pair be able programming, to, right? <laughs> yeah, you might be able to do it too, like just pair programming as long as you had this strange division of labor. Yeah. Um, but that does seem really forced, you know? All right, so, so I would three, say three or four is a minimum. Three is a minimum for a mob. Yeah. There's gotta be an upper bound, right? When you put 20 yeah. people in that room, it's just gonna be too much. I, I yeah, don't know. It's also, it's also sort of really expensive, right? As you're, <laughs> instead, of, instead of having uh, 20 people all working on separate projects, uh, now, now your project has become 20 times more, your, your particular page of code has become 20 times more expensive than it was in the past. So there's some sort of upper bound in terms of a reasonable amount of cost to write it. We've only done it with, uh, you know, small agile teams, uh, and, and you can add a couple extra people to that team as needed, but you know, eight people is probably an upper bound. Um, two, two, two pizza team upper bound. Yeah. Something like that. Right. And so like, uh, there, there's some. There's probably some, it's probably worth sort of talking through the mechanics just so people has, have an idea how this works. Yeah. 
So let's say you have a team of four people, right? You got uh, Alice, Bob, Carol, and Dave, right? And they're all they're all mob programming together. And so, like, you know, they, they start off at 12 o'clock, right? And, like, Alice is the driver. And so she's not talking. She's just typing in. And Bob is the navigator. And Bob sort of, you know, they're, they're working on some sort of, you know, web uh, API front end or something. So, so Bob's telling Alice uh, what to type in. And Carol and Dave are there and they're just kind of, they're kind of working with Bob and they're consulting with Bob. And, but Bob's like, you know, when there's a question about where to go or what to work on next, Bob's the guy in charge, right? And so Alice kind of does what Bob says and Carol and Dave agree that Bob kind of sets the tone. And then about 10 minutes in or 15 minutes in, let's say 10 minutes, right? Um, 10 minutes in, you know, a bell rings and they rotate. So then Bob becomes a driver. He stops talking. Yeah, obviously they can talk a little bit. It's not like they're, they tape their mouth shut or something, but you know, he, he stops being seriously in charge. Carol becomes the uh, navigator and then Dave and Alice are helping Carol, right? And so then for the next 10 minutes, it's Carol's uh, sort of direction and ideas mainly going into the code with uh, Dave and Alice helping and Bob just doing the typing. And then 10 minutes later, 1220, the, the bell rings and Carol becomes a driver. She stops talking. Dave becomes the primary navigator and Alice and Bob are helping Dave as Dave sort of sets the tone and the direction for the next 10 minutes. And then they, you know, another 10 minutes, they rotate again and Dave's the driver and Alice is finally gets a chance to be the navigator and uh, really push, push code in and things like that. And so you, you rotate like that. And I think that the variation comes in how long you have these sessions where someone's just typing and not contributing. Like, is it five minutes, 10, 15? And do you really have like a designated navigator who tells them what to type in or does the group just kind of generally shout at them and make them do whatever they want? And I think there's, I think there's definitely some advantages to having a designated navigator, which I think we can talk, talk to later. But okay. So many questions. Yeah, so, yeah. so does that have to be a timed thing or can it be based on task completion? So for example, if it's my turn, I've, you know, I just worked out this function that we're going to need, right? Yeah. I want to sit down and, and knock out this whole function. I don't want the buzzer to go off when I'm yeah. 80% of the way through. I want to finish this up. So obviously all of this is negotiated by the teams themselves. Yeah, but I think there is some advantage to uh, being forced into a time limit and to, to give up control at particular times because a huge part of the benefit of this is you're halfway through a function. You have this vision for how this thing's going to get done, right? You give up control. The next person in line behind you is say a, you know, just a, a junior QA uh, tester. Now you are describing to them and coaching them on how to get through the rest of your function uh, so that your vision can be completed the way you, you know, want it to be completed. Uh, and everyone else is sort of agreeing or disagreeing with you. But what, during that time, you are in sort of a small bite-sized uh, digestible chunk, giving this, this junior programmer an enormous amount of very useful on-the-job training for how to, how to solve this particular problem. So obviously, teams can, teams can decide uh, one way or the other how they're going to do it. But, but uh, I, I do like the, um, the sort of forced time limit because it forces people to uh, share responsibility in a way they, they might not otherwise. So that's good, right? In that everybody's there, everybody there understands the code that's going into this system, right? There are no, no uh, kind of black boxes that people say, oh, that's, that's always this person that solves it. I don't understand what's going on there. So that, yeah. that's a major benefit. It sounds like we'd want to do this with programming languages that are 
kind of coded for readability. We, did, we probably don't want to do this with obfuscated C. Yeah, right. Or, yes, machine or, language. Or yeah, as I mean, a pro one liners. I, I've only done this with you know, things like Node.js or Python or, or .NET. <laughs> but, but the readability of code, I mean, is, is an important thing for as systems get complex and supported by multiple people anyway. So, yeah. uh, okay. But, but you, 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 you sort of uh, touch on one of the major advantages there, which is that the sort of normalization of, well, like the shared ownership of the code so that you, you don't have this particular algorithm that's, you know, super, you know, complex and does all sorts of wonderful things, but there's that one guy who's the manager of that algorithm. And if, if he decides that he doesn't want to do that anymore, the wheels kind of come off the bus, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, um, I've, I've seen those. Yeah, that can be a real problem. And then, and then on the, the other side of it, the thing I, I like a, a whole bunch is sort of the normalization of how to solve problems, right? Because you, you, you might, you know, have a for loop when you're like, Hey, I got to do this for loop, do this array. And you're like, great, I'm going to like create an int I that's the length of the array. And then from I, you know, down to zero, I'm gonna, you know, go to the next item in the array backwards, um, down down to the, you know, down to the last item in the array, and then I'm gonna print it out or whatever, right? And someone else, you know, looks at this and they say, "Do you know that for each exists now, right? You can just do for each yeah. element in array." Well, the print, new guy's gonna like, hit an off. The new guy's gonna hit an off by one, and his <laughs> index is gonna be out of bounds. And yeah, somebody yeah. else can say, "Oh, here's how we do that these days," so you don't run into that problem. Right. Yeah. There's gonna be like these things that, like, you know everyone has a slightly different way of solving this problem. And, and as you talk about it, you're going to be like, actually, honestly, that's like the best way for this thing. Like I still might need the I index variable way of getting through an array for some special case, right. Where I'm doing some weird skip counting or something, but for like the standard case, this other solution is just great. Like I love it. It makes my life. It makes me so much faster. And so, uh, and again, like, you know, all this whole world, the technology world is changing so fast. Nobody, nobody can keep up with everything. Right. So this gives one person a chance to, you know, get good at that particular idea. Another person gets good at say manipulating stuff in like pandas and Python so that they can, they can have these, you know, in memory grids of data, you know, everyone has a different kind of speciality that they like, and this allows them to bring it to the table when appropriate. So, so those, those are, I think like the, the biggest advantages, but we can talk about more of them as well. But those are the things that I really like about it. So it sounds like it's going to be really good for um, raising the average knowledge level of the team. So it's a good way to put in somebody more junior to help help them uh, kind of train up and learn from the people who are more senior. Um, Absolutely. This is the way we do things, right? Members who don't fit very well with the rest of the team in this type of situation, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that can be a real downside. So, um, you need you need the team that is made made up of people who sort of work well together. That sort of um, classic sort of genius who is really hard to work with and and sort of off by himself and you know really uh, abrasive and aggressive towards everyone else because they're just not as smart as he is. That guy's going to do terribly in a situation like that, right? Yeah. You're, you're like, you, you need. You it need it sounds like this is exactly what he needs, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. it may be a way to manage him out. Um, <laughs> uh, you need you need a group of people, like one person who is sort of like emotionally abusive to everyone else, and sort of like, oh, you're kind of dumb to think that. You know, I can't believe you would approach it that way. They can ruin and poison the whole process. So you definitely need a sort of a, a sense of you know. Hey, we're we're gonna be 
forgiving to mistakes. We're going to encourage people. We're going to have a sort of a safe space to express ideas and uh, ways to solve this problem without being, uh, you know, very judgmental about the various approaches. We're just going to try to figure out which one's the best, that kind of thing. So when I think of the way something like this would work, I'm imagining we have a nice whiteboard there in the room. We're going to program, you know, some component of a system. So we're going to sketch that out so we all understand the kind of outline of the, the whole picture. And then we start breaking down the specific methods that we know we're going to write, right? The, the classes or the data types that we're going to need um, mm -hmm. going through the system. And then we kind of work through that in some systematic way as everybody gets their turn at the keyboard. Yep. How does that change around with, um, with being entirely remote? Oh, okay. That's a great idea, but I'm going to, I'm going to push that uh, a little further because I don't think we have, we don't, I don't think we've co totally covered this, but, okay. but I, you know, think about, think about what you just exactly. talked about there, right? Like you're whiteboarding architectural design, you're whiteboarding class design and how that's going to be represented in a database. You, you might be uh, whiteboarding different ways that you're going to uh, do message passing throughout the architecture. And all those, all those sections, you know, you could rotate that through the group of people as well. Right. So you have the, the lead architect up there, you know, trying to write out a diagram and 10 minutes later, bing, 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 the, the bell rings. And then, you know, a, a sort of more junior guy comes in and he's like, I don't know between these different um, architectural standards, which one I should do. Well, the next 10 minutes might be people showing them how to Google on Stack Overflow. Here, here's why you would solve particular problems this particular way. And that's a significant part of any software developer is how to navigate the internet to steal all the information you need to accomplish your job. Right. That's and right. so, so you might have, you know, 10 minutes of people being like, yeah, you know what? I always go to this particular site first. This guy really knows his stuff about algorithms, you know, and, and you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that guy existed. Right. That all counts as program. <laughs> so, so that can definitely happen. But yeah, so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about like the various advantages that I can see and like the various disadvantages and, and that might, well, even there, so, so what you said was interesting, right? Is that, you know, even though one person is at the keyboard, everybody else is still working, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Research aspects, they're doing the kind of designing, sketching things out, um, mm -hmm. right? Writing it on paper before it gets into the computer. Right, and they, and they might be like, you absolutely, you absolutely have to, you know, the, the more experienced members of the team might be, you actually have to have a good, usable readable diagram that lives with this code because if you don't it will it will fall apart and people won't know what it does and the more junior people might be like i don't need a diagram i just get in there and start start putting in for loops right and eventually it all gets solved it's a huge nest if, of for loops nest them 20 deep you got it all so so yeah the, the advantages i see you know you got you got the normalization of skills um you, you got the education there, there's an aspect of education that that we haven't touched on which i think is is really important which is educating the recalcitrant senior resource to actually learn uh newer platforms yeah. right so so let's say you're you know you're getting off of java and, and dot net and you're going to to node.js or go or something like the juniorest people in the team are probably the people who actually know go because they, they were, you know, playing with it in college or something like that, and now they're on the team. Whereas the most senior and most respected people on the team may have never really had the time to learn Go, and you're trying to, like, get that sort of into the blend of how your project's going for the future because you know, you've heard all sorts of good things about how it's going to work. 
it may be really difficult to get those senior people to sort of down tools on their major features that they're working on and experiment with this. I don't know about you, Vince, but I have often had that problem where, the, the, you know, these guys are like, look, I, you know, I, I'd love to learn this, you know, new cool stuff. It seems like flash in the pan though, and we got to get production out the door. So I'm going to keep working on this. And until I'm forced to write something in this new language, I'm going to keep doing what I'm good at. Yeah, there, there's an amount of that. I, I've also been uh, learning a couple of things this week, and boy, have I felt unproductive. So you, you take a bit of a hit from that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're in a room where you're like, okay, we're going to write this solution, and it's going to be in Go, then uh, these guys are going to have to learn it right there. They're going to have to like, – they're going to be like, at you know, the navigator trying to explain – how to do a for loop because they're really good at for loops in Java, but they're going to have to figure out how to do a for loop in Golang. And they're going to have to start asking for help and try, you know, seeing how other people are doing it and paying attention. And uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's kind of surreptitious, right? Because they're only doing it for 10 minutes. Then they, then they're, they're off as either a driver or, you know, passenger in this group. And so they can, they, they can kind of, quickly pick up what they want. They're not on the spotlight for too long. So they're not going to get in too much. They're not going to get in too much trouble in front of everyone. And also sort of, they get the notice that like whatever foot dragging they've been doing on adopting this new technology, uh, it's probably time is up. They got to get moving. (laughs) So I think that's a really important part of education is sort of getting, getting those kind of guys to have a sandbox that they can develop this and learn where they can get educational tools from. But at the same time, right, you'll also have the newer guys learning how to structure things so that they don't run into problems later on as the system gets more complex from from having those senior people there with them as well. So it sounds like both sides benefit. And hopefully you'll get sort of a, you know, a deepening respect and sense of, uh, you know, team camaraderie because people realize that they can look to each other for help and assistance and, and, you know, people have valuable contributions to make that that are sort of more, more significant than just seeing that they're completing stories on a burned down chart or something. And just like any other team practice, right? They're going to start off uh, and have relatively low productivity and they're going to, they're going to speed up. They're going to get better at these practices. Yeah. And you you mentioned a, a good point there with the productivity, you know, engineers are generally pretty nervous about things that involve low productivity. Uh, I, I think we're all pretty aware of the fact that we have pretty good jobs and uh, you know, pretty good situation, living situation, and as a result of being extremely productive and uh, providing a lot of value. And so, you know, w- one of the things that really kind of tears people up a lot is they've been they've been thrashing around a problem for a day and they haven't gotten it done, right? And then, then they begin to, you know, there's often people who just feel really bad about that. They sort of apologize that they haven't, you know, moved forward. Well, if you have eight people working on a particular bunch of code and they all feel like they've just wasted a day working on it, that's uh, eight times the amount of sort of A, cost, and B, mental anguish. And obviously, uh, you can learn a lot at the same time that you feel like you're not being productive. So it's not necessarily that they aren't being productive, but... So you, you definitely want to sort of, uh, especially when you're starting this, you want to be targeting things that can be accomplished, like a, like a feature that is fairly well-defined that you can be like, hey, you know what, we're going to get into this and we're going to, by the time we're done, we're going to have this feature, you know, half done or three quarters of the way done or completely done or um, some sort of bug that is reproducible so that you can kind of go, go down to, you know, chasing the bug uh, to wherever it's going without spending a lot of time uh, thrashing around on it. I think those 
uh, situations where you have a bug report that's not reproducible is probably a bad choice for a, you know, starting out mob programming. Because just like with anything new, uh, you want to sort of post wins uh, up on the board so that people feel like this is a process that's going to actually be advantageous to be part of, right? If, if they feel like every time we do this, we just end up with nothing, they're going to get pretty disappointed with it uh, going forward. So. But I can imagine like any, any reasonably sized agile team, right, could certainly carve out a week and say, we're going to try to work this way for, for the week just to see how things go. Um, yeah, and we, we, we never did it for a week. Uh, we only do it for about an hour at a time. And, and this is, wow. we would do it back in the day when you actually saw people in, in, in person, right? It was a long time ago, uh, ancient history. You, you would actually all go to the same office and work at the same time. It was amazing. When you did that, being in the same room with people for an hour, all arguing over how to do code, like it's cool, but it's also really draining. <laughs> so yeah. we, would, we would only do it for about an hour at a time. So. so does it make sense to maybe pick a small feature and say, well, you know, we think this could be implemented in half a day and then yeah. try to sort something like that out? With the yeah, I, yeah, definitely sort of, you know, small half a day is probably a good, a good amount of time because, you know, you, you sort of longer than that, the emails are going to start to pile up. But uh, shorter than that, you're spending a lot of time sort of assembling all the resources and you may not get anything out of it. So, yeah. So... Yeah, you want you want to, you want a um, something that can be accomplished or something that you can at least move forward, right? You don't have to like at the end of the session be like we have officially checked something in, even if you even if you've gotten halfway through something that you feel pretty good about. People feel like it was a it was a profitable use of time. It sounds like this could also make sense for something that that seems like it could be particularly tricky that you want backup on that you want more people in the team to understand how it works. Like maybe this is something that you do for those hotspots in, in code or for those areas that are, are bound to be more complex than others. Yeah. If you have an area of code that's, you know, seeing a lot of uh, defects in it, you know, maybe it was rushed out at the beginning of uh, the, the project and, and now it's kind of the weak link in terms of defects. You may want everyone looking at it a lot because the more people looking at it, the better. And, and during this time, I mean, like, people have to be working on the project, right? They can't be like, oh, I'm a passenger. Now it's time for me to check my email and, you know, text with people and, I don't know, play play video games or whatever people do. They have to be focused on this. If they're not focused on it, then they're not contributing, so. Great. Well, very uh, interesting. Uh, oh, uh, what, one more, one more uh, sort of negative thing that can happen. I, I haven't ever seen this, but you, you do have those situations where the manager can be uh, sort sort of, you can't upstage the manager in terms of their ability or technical knowledge or something, that kind of, that kind of team dynamic. Um, obviously if you're in a team like that and then the managers in the room while this is going on, it's going to really constrain people's conversation. Like you have to be as a manager, you have to be the kind of person who is totally happy with everyone on your team being more technically advanced than yourself and more capable than yourself. Even if, you know, maybe not all of them are, at least the, the, the possibility that they could be because you want everyone contributing to the best of their abilities. Otherwise you're reducing the, the general productivity of the team by being in the room because people are going to kind of not want to speak up and somehow make you look bad. If, if there's this, uh, if there's a standard that the manager has to be the person with who has the best ideas or something like that. So. I don't think that's really a problem with a lot of people, but it's it's worth mentioning. 
Great. So, so leaders are welcome to dive in, but if you want to be there to uh, manage the team through that process, it's probably not going to be good for anybody. Yeah. Sort of be the, yeah, be the, like the, you know, the top dog or something like that. It, it is worth it to bring in like the product manager and like QA people who are not generally developers so that they can participate. They maybe not participate every single time, but obviously this is a significant part of how a company is, is um, working, developing code, right? And having the product manager there and, and contributing, being, being a person who's navigating, who's typing, doing all that kind of stuff, they, they will get a better sense of how, the, how this thing actually works and what sort of requests of a development team are reasonable and what sort of requests are not reasonable, you know, what, their, what their team can do. Uh, similarly, QA people who are uh, not as technical, uh, it may help them in terms of giving them a leg up on how to become more technical. Obviously, one of the big things that's happening with Agile is everyone uh, needs to write as much, uh, as many tests, uh, automated tests as possible. Mm -hmm. So you want those people to be uh, more educated in writing code. So, so it's okay for people to be in this in this mob programming room, but not have a turn at the keyboard. No, no, they would have a turn at the keyboard. They would be okay. a navigator. They would do things. They would, would put, basically would the project manager or the uh, product manager in uh, at, at yeah. the code. You write the next ten, you know, next next ten minutes of code, and the product manager just turns around to everyone else and is like, "Help me write the next ten minutes of code." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that, that's what happened. But it's good, right? I mean, obviously, knowing knowing what your developers are actually doing is gonna make you a better product manager. So maybe not every single time, but you know, uh, once every other every other time, or once every four times or something, get in there, be part of that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So that's um, that's I think the 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 highlights. Uh, and, and the sort of things to avoid that I can think of. About remote at all? Yeah. I know it's yeah, so, longer than we, we thought. No, no, what? Well, wait, this, uh, I think remote will be pretty quick. So remote is tricky. You can either all, what I've seen from people talking about it is you can either all be on site or all be remote, but you can't be half and half. If you're half and half, the people who are remote kind of get cut out of the conversation. But yeah, if everyone's on a Zoom meeting, that get, works. Uh, like information asymmetry that way? Yeah, they can't hear what's going on. When they try to contribute, people can't hear them, that kind of thing. So it's either all or nothing. And uh, you, have to, you have to sort of uh, watch for people who have different bandwidth problems. So theoretically, everyone should have their cameras on. But if you're in a you know, situation where you can't have your camera on, you know, if that's messing up the audio, turn the camera off. You know, maybe even go to chat if you can't go to audio. And sort of the sharing code part is, is pretty weird. Like, do you have one person share their screen and, and pass control to the driver every 10 minutes? That can end up with kind of a, like a, a double hop going you know, from your machine to, to your screen, then sharing to the driver, then back and forth. Um, the other way you could do it is you could have everyone uh, have a development environment up with a, the Git repository and the environment up ready to share in turn on their own machine. Uh, if you do that, uh, you wanna sort of have a warm up cycle at the beginning where everyone sort of in turn makes sure that their whole system works. And so you do, it, it, and also if you do that, at the every, end of every 10 minutes, people would check into, there would be like a separate Git branch for this particular session. People would check into that branch and then at the end of the session, every 10 minutes they check into the branch and the next person would pull the latest in order to, to continue work. 
So um, they're going to all have to uh, avoid the temptation of either starting to write code when it's not their turn or just going to browse the internet. Yeah, yeah, that's a real problem. And then, and then at the end of the session, you would then squash all those commits down to one commit with one official comment, as opposed to having a bunch of little weird 10 minute commits that are sort of halfway there. The, the, other, the advantage is that, you know, if you, if you have someone that is not normally part of your remoting team, uh, your, your uh, mob programming team, and you wanna bring them in on this particular uh, remote meeting, it's super easy to do, right? As opposed to if it's in person, you have to go find that person in another part of the building and drag them over to your meeting. In a remote meeting, you can just call them up and be like, hey, can you, can you be part of this for an hour? We, we need your security expertise on this particular problem. So there, there are some upsides to it as well. Yeah, so that's it. I, I, it's pretty fun, I think. And I think the other, uh, the, the last thing is that it's, uh, it, it's a fun, different way of doing things, right? It's like a little bit lighter than just writing the code yourself and you're working in a group. And we've talked before about how in this remote environment, people don't really like have a chance to sort of gossip and hang out the way they do it in a real office. And I think that's really destroying um, the ability of teams to work together over time. You know, it just sort of gradually just wears on uh, the team dynamic. And I think this is probably a good way to build that back up, right? It gives people a chance to, to work together on something, relax a little bit. You know, you, you, it's, a different, it's a different style of doing things. So you're, you're not necessarily focused on work the same way you are uh, in a normal, um, you know, solitary programming session. Um, so I think there's uh, some upsides there that generally worth experimenting with. So, Well, it definitely sounds like a fun thing to try. Really appreciate the conversation, Jay. So thank you. Sure. All right. Well, great. Uh, have a good Christmas, and we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk after the break. If you like the show, please show us some love on the Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. The views and opinions are solely those of the speakers and not the opinions of any third party. The same holds true for guests. If we ever have guests, we don't guarantee completeness or accuracy. We don't assume responsibility or liability for the information. This content is provided for general information only, and if you choose to rely upon it, you do so at your own risk. This should not be considered professional advice. Thank you.